You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Our God is so good. You know, God was speaking to me this morning. Um, I was up at one o'clock, and then I was up at five (laughs) o'clock, and God was talking to me actually about anxiety, so... And it's part of what I'm talking about this morning. Anyway, it was just amazing how, how God works. And I was praying against anxiety this morning and that when anxiety leaves, the, that place that's left empty, that it would be the Holy Spirit's peace that would fill that. That it would fill that. That it would fill that. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, I won't. I um, want to talk about grace this morning. Because um, grace, God has been talking to me about grace for the last two or three weeks. And I've just been listening to hear what he says. And then I've been, um, there is so much talked about grace. And there are so many facets of grace. And by no means am I standing here telling you that I know all about grace. Because I maybe know just a little bit. Um, because it's just so multifaceted. Everything, everything, everything I read in the Bible, there's grace attached to it. So I, 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 so I don't know all about grace, and some of you probably maybe know more than I do, but I'm just going to tell you what I know and, 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 hope, and, and trust that the Holy Spirit will, will use that. Merriam-Webster says that grace is unmerited divine assistance given to humans for the re- their regeneration or sanctification. I'm always amazed when you go to a dictionary like that the world produces that it comes up with some sometimes so accurate descriptions of what of what God is and what he does. The Greek word is for for grace that's used is horus which means to favor, to be disposed to, inclined, favorable toward, leaning towards and to share benefit. And the in the ESV the word grace is used 131 times and 124 times in the New Testament. Um, 86 times by Paul. Paul is the apostle of grace. And so I want to, I kind of want to look at two different aspects of grace. One of them being unmerited favor and the other one being power. Power for living what God wants us to live. So plain and simple, Charity mentioned about being simple. Let's try and keep this simple because it can get so complicated. You know, and, and, and I, you, you read and you get these people and their theological ideas and they're arguing about the meaning of this word and the meaning of that word. And um, you go down that road and pretty soon you have no idea <laughs> about anything. But simply, grace is God's favor towards you. God likes you. You know that? He does. And, and, and I know that, we all know that in our heads, but sometimes in our hearts we wonder. Sometimes in our hearts we do something dumb and stupid. Grace covers stupid, by the way. Um, and we'll get there. <laughs> but, um, but we feel horrible because we do something and we go, what in the world was I thinking? But grace is still there. Because grace is his favor towards us. 
Grace is something that we cannot buy. It is not something that we can work for. It is something that God gives us. Plain and simple, because he likes us. Plain and simple, God, God's favor is on our lives because he likes us. There's different levels because there's a level of grace that's over the whole world. The sun comes up every morning, the sun goes down every night. It rains on the just, it rains on the unjust. All of it is grace for everybody. Jesus died for everybody. But then there seems to be more grace when you give your heart to the Lord. And then as you walk with the Lord, he just unravels a little bit more over here and a little bit more over there. And I, and I suspect that the longer we walk with God, the more he'll unveil. And I don't know if he will ever unveil it all. Um, I don't know if we will live long enough to learn it all because it's just really, really huge. But the base of grace is unmerited. It is God's favor towards you. Plain and simple. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. This is Paul. I became a servant and a preacher of this gospel by the gift of God's grace as he exercised his amazing power over me. I cannot think of anyone more unworthy to this cause than I am. The least of these saints. But here I am, a grace-made man, privileged to be an echo of his voice and a preacher to all the nations of the riches of the anointed one. Riches that no one has ever imagined. I mean, we, we look at Paul and we think about how amazing he is. He wrote probably two-thirds of our New Testament. And, and so much of what we know and believe about God, Paul knew before we did. We, we all know the story of Paul. He, he, his name was Saul originally. And he was going to Damascus to kill some Christians because he didn't like them. And... Um, this bright light comes down and Paul hits the ground and he hears Jesus say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to do that. I think some versions say kick against the goats, but basically Jesus is saying, this is not, it's not helping you any. <laughs> you know, why are you doing this? It's not helping you any. You know, and, and Saul says, well, who are you? And then he says, he's Jesus. And from that point on, Paul has complete change of heart, a complete turnaround. And we look at Paul's life and we think that Paul was suddenly this super Christian. But what most of us don't realize is there is a period of 13 years there where Paul, from when Paul got saved into when Paul started his missionary journeys, he spent 13 years just studying the Bible before he was ready to go into the ministry. And sometimes, you know, we spend three years and we go, God, come on, let's get going. <laughs> Paul spent 13 years studying the Bible, studying the Old Testament before he started stepping out on his missionary journeys. So God spent 13 years teaching him. Probably he needed a lot of that time to get rid of the religion. <laughs> you know. But because Paul was killing Christians, he says, I am, where's it? I cannot think of anybody more unworthy to this cause than I am. Because he killed them. He, he, he arrested them. He put them in jail. He did everything he could to get them to renounce Jesus. Which is why Paul is saying, I am the, I am the worst. I am the chief sinner. But God's grace. But the grace of God. God had favor on Paul, even though Paul did what he did. 
when, when Paul gave his life to the Lord on that road to Damascus, God's favor increased towards Paul. And yes, he was the, he was the least of the sinners, but God's grace made him the biggest apostle. God's favor on his life and it made Paul the rock to the Gentiles. And he was a rock because he knew what he knew and nobody could sway him. Nobody could sway him from that. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Paul saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. God saved us by his grace. It was his favor towards us that sent Jesus to the cross. It was his favor towards mankind that hatched the plan. And it, interesting, this plan was hatched before he created us, but he loved us before. You know, the Bible says he knew us when we were in the room. He knew all of us before he even created the world. And, and he made a plan to overcome the sin of Adam. And that plan, by his grace, was Jesus. And so we are saved because of Jesus. We are saved because God had favor upon us and his grace sent Jesus to the cross so that we could be saved. Nothing we did, nothing we can do. So there's, there's nothing we can do to obtain grace. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 10. Today I am who I am because of God's grace. And I have made sure that the grace he offered me has not been wasted. I have worked harder, longer, and smarter than all the rest. But I realize it's not me. It's God's grace within me that has made the difference. It's God's grace. Robert Morris said, grace is unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. And that's what it is. So and what Paul is saying, when we first get saved, we are just so happy, you know, that God did it. And the joy in our heart is huge. And then, and then we, we grow in the Lord and God's grace shows us things. His favor towards us shows us different things about him. His favor cleans out our hearts. His favor will get rid of the anxiety and put his peace in there. That's God's grace that's doing that because he has favor towards you because he likes you. But 20 years later, when we're like 20 years old in the Lord and we have had our hearts cleaned out a little bit and God has done some things through us. We've prayed for people. People have been healed. Sometimes it's pretty easy to start thinking that we're pretty good. You know, because we've opened up our heart, we've let God use us, and, and we, we can start thinking that we have done pretty good because, because of what God has done through us. But Isaiah says our righteousness is like dirty, stinking rags, right? And it doesn't, and, and, and that's kind of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, that yeah, he's done all this stuff, and he started all these churches, and he has written all, written, I don't know how much of the New Testament he wrote when he wrote 1 Corinthians, but 
he has written all this, and yet he says, it's not me. Yeah, I have worked my tail off, but it's not me. It's the grace that even gave me the strength and the energy to do that. It's God's grace within me that has made the difference. Because God likes you. It's because God likes you. That's what makes the difference. It's his favor towards you. Let's see if I can turn the page. Oh, I can't. Isaiah 64, 6. It says, we, we, we are all messed up like a person compromised with impurity. Even all our right efforts are like soiled rags. We're drying up like a leaf in autumn, and we're blown away by wrongdoing. God's favor covers us. I mentioned earlier that God's favor covers stupid. And it does. And we've all been there. We've all done stupid. I was there this week. <laughs> I took my dad to the doctor, and I usually, I usually, the keys to the truck, it's the proximity key, so I lock it, I put it in the console, and then I lock the doors and with the combo, so I can combo back into the truck and go. But after you lock the truck, if the doors aren't closed, it unlocks when you close the last door. And I didn't realize it unlocked. And we went into the doctor, and we came out, and someone had stolen the key to my truck. And two tooties, and some points cards. And I'm thinking, why would they take the key and not the truck? <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I remember Shannon saying, it's because there's an angel in the passenger seat. That's pretty obvious. But you know what? It's grace. Grace covers stupid. I, sh I, I should have probably taken the key with me and not locked it in the console and not tried to lock it in the truck. But the grace covered it, and they did not take the truck. I mean, it's going to cost me 800 bucks for another key and to get everything programmed. But you know what? The truck is in my garage, and I'm not driving it until we can get it reprogrammed because someone out there has a key for it. But still, grace covers stupid. We've all done stupid. We've all done things in what? But his favor never leaves because we make a mistake. His favor never leaves when we make a mistake. It is always, always there because his favor is the fact that he likes us. He loves us. And even though we make a mistake, that doesn't mean he doesn't love us anymore. And so there's nothing we can do to chase the grace of God away. And there's nothing we can do to get the grace of God. It is just there. He just gives it to us. Even when our attitudes are wrong, his grace applies because God is so gracious. I don't know how many of you have heard the story about when I went to Bible school. Jane, Joan and I were talking about Bible school this morning. Um, I got saved when I was 18. And when I was 19, God called me to Bible school. And I said to God, nah, I do not want to pastor a church because I assumed that Bible school meant pastoring. And I said, I don't want to do that. And so I decided in my heart I wasn't going to obey. So... But suddenly, the job that I really liked, I suddenly was very dissatisfied with the job because I was disobeying God. But in my mind, I thought, oh, God wants me to have a better one. That's why. So I went and found another job. So, uh, and so I found a job driving scrap steel for a company. It had the big hydraulic forks on the back of the truck and it would pick up the bin full of steel, put it on the truck, you drive it to the scrap yard, you dump it, you take the bin back. 
So I drove out to this um, foundry to get metal, to get a scrap load of metal. And it was empty. They, it, they hadn't got it filled yet. So they asked me to come back tomorrow. I said, okay. So I'm driving back with this empty bucket and I'm going on the washboard. So the bucket's starting to bounce on the back of the truck. So I pulled close to the building because there's no washboard right next to the building. But what I didn't notice was the fire escape coming out of the building. <laughs> so these two forks on the back of the truck caught the fire escape and this five-ton truck went up and I saw the bottom of the fire escape and it bounced off the wall and back on the tires. And uh, all it did was take the mirror off, the side mirror off. It really didn't damage the truck at all, which was God's grace. But, and I said to God, and I said, God, what's going on? And it was like an audible voice. It was like, Bible school. <laughs> and, okay, okay, I get the point. But I still don't want to go. So I, I, had a, I had a car that I had borrowed a bunch of money to build. And I sold the car, paid off the loans that I borrowed the money for, but had no money to go to Bible school, which didn't bother me at all because I didn't want to go. So, so, <laughs> very much. So I go and uh, I go there because I know God wants me to go there. And um, this down in the, in the register's office to, to pay the tuition and say, I haven't got any money. I know I'm registered but I don't have any money to go. And the lady there said, well, it just so happens that yesterday in the mail, we got enough cash to cover your first tuition, so you're good. That's God's grace. Because my attitude sucked. It was terrible. And yet God supplied. This is the grace of God, because he loved me. So I did the first semester. And then the second semester comes, and I didn't work at all. I went full-time to school. I didn't have a part-time job. So the second semester comes in January, and the same thing. I go sit in front of her office, and I say, I have no money. And, and I really don't want to be there still. <laughs> and um, she says, well, it just so happened. We got another envelope. <laughs> and it God's grace, right? So summertime comes. I go to work. I get a job. It was at Canadian Tire, actually. And so I would have been about 20 years old. And um, I worked all summer and bought a car. I bought a 67 Cougar. So I go back to Bible school in the fall. I have no money because I bought that car. So I walk into the register's office again, and I said, I don't have any money for tuition this year. So, I mean, if you strike me off the list, that'll be okay, because that's really what I wanted. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean you don't have any money? And I went, well, I kind of spent it all on car. She said, well, you were here yesterday and paid for the whole year. I said, I was not. <laughs> Every penny I spent went into that car. She said, you were. I came and you gave me the money and I saw you. I just forgot to give you the receipt. So here's the receipt. That's God's grace. So now I have to go for year two. <laughs> I have no excuse. And then the third year, I joined the musical group and spent a month touring for the group and touring for the Bible school and promoting it. So then that paid for the fifth semester. And during the fifth semester, I finally went to God and said, you know what, if you want me to pastor, I will. I'll do it for you. I don't want to, but I love you and I will do it if you want me to. 
And God said to me, I don't want you to. I just want you to be willing to. And the peace just flooded my soul. Like, I can't tell you. But I had to pay for the last semester myself. (laughs) But that is the grace of God. It stamps paid in full when your attitude is bad. You know, even when you have a bad attitude, the grace of God doesn't leave you. It is still there and is still operating. And there's a, Bill Johnson says, there's a really big difference between working for favor and working from favor. That really spoke to me. There's a really big difference between working for favor and working from favor. In other words, you can work all you want to get more of God's grace, and it's not going to help you an iota because it's already there. But when you work from grace, you do exactly the same things, but it's a whole lot easier because there's no condemnation when you fail. <laughs> you know? Um, and grace will fix that, and we'll get to that. So grace is unmerited favor. The unmerited part is so, so important. Because when we do make a mistake and we do feel condemned and we want to kick ourselves around the block because we said something to somebody that we really shouldn't have said or whatever reason, the fact that it's unmerited means you still have the favor of God. So even though you feel like an idiot and that you really screwed up really bad, it doesn't matter because God's grace is unmerited. It's there for you. And so so often we allow... Satan to taunt us and tell us how rotten we are because we made a mistake and we love God and we feel rotten. And so he comes along and says, you feel rotten because you are rotten. But God's grace says, no, 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 no. That's a lie that you got to not believe. You got to stay away from that. Yeah, you may feel bad, but that's okay because I still love you. And Jesus died for all the sins that you're going to commit. Not just the ones you have committed, He's covered all the sins you're going to commit. And that's part of grace. It's unmerited favor. It doesn't matter that you make a mistake. You still have the grace of God. It's still there. There's still nothing you can do about it. The power. Grace also gives, gives us power. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you will abound in every good work. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you can do the good works that he's created you to do. And you can do them from grace instead of for grace. I fall into this so often, so often that... I feel bad about something, so I think I have to work harder so I don't feel bad anymore. And what I'm really trying to do is get rid of the rotten feeling inside by doing more and hoping that somebody will notice it. So we go to work harder. We volunteer at the church longer. You know, we do more. And I'm not saying you shouldn't volunteer, okay? Don't take that home. But you can't do it to make yourself feel better because you're wasting your effort. You do it because... God has given you grace, and you want to do it, and you want to serve God and those who serve God. But it will give you the power, the, the power to do the good works. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. So keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of... So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me 
to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may, be, may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I often wondered what that meant. When I am weak, he is strong. But you know what? When we get to the point where there's, we've done everything and there's nothing more we can do, and we can't get up and do it another day. That's when, that's when the grace is the strongest. Because that's when we get out of the way. Right? When we're struggling to do it and we're, we want to, God has called us to do this, so we're going to get up and we're going to go do it, and we just can't do it anymore, that we just kind of almost give up. Then God's grace can step in because you're getting yourself out of the way. It's, it's, um, that's why grace is strong when we are weak, because we finally get to the point where we say, you know, God, if you're not going to do it, it ain't going to get done. You know, and, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it just popped into my head. <laughs> um, when I first got saved, I swore a lot. Um, when, when I was 14, we moved from Lethbridge to Saskatoon, and I was really mad at God because I had to move. And so I thought, well, if I'm mad at God, God should be mad at me. So I started swearing on purpose because that would make God mad. So I did. I started, every chance I got, I swore on purpose. I would think I should swear here, and then I would. And it, and it got to the point where I didn't think that anymore. I just did it. But when I got saved, I thought, oh, now that I'm saved, I got to stop swearing. But I couldn't. There was nothing in me. I, I, as much as I tried... And then one day I finally went to God and said, you know what, if you don't want me to swear, you're going to have to do something because there is nothing I can do to stop. I have tried everything. And then I just left it at that. And about two weeks later, I got my finger caught in a conveyor belt. And when I yanked it out, I went, ah, that hurts. Oh, hey, no swearing. <laughs> That's the grace of God. It gives us the power to live for him the way he wants us to live. And when we give it to him and give up trying to do it on our own, that's when his grace kicks in and that's when his grace becomes strong in our weakness. Romans 5.20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died to give us right standing, but it was his grace. I've mentioned this. It was his grace that took Jesus to that cross so that we could have right standing with him, with, with, with God. And it's his wonderful grace became more abundant. So grace, the, uh, the big question always is, well, how do I tap into God's grace? How do I do that? Like, I struggled for years and years and years to tap into God's grace and never did once <laughs> because, because I'm trying to do it on my own. We, we don't tap into grace. God gives it to us. Really, there's nothing we can do. And, I, and I've said this a couple of times. The law was given through Moses in John 1.17. Grace and truth came through Jesus. 
So faith is super important. In, um, it's, it's super important in everything we do. We are saved by grace. We are saved by faith. We are saved because of the death and the blood of Jesus. It all ties together. It all ties together. And we could spend a lot of time trying to talk about and discuss and argue about whether we're saved by grace or whether we're saved by faith or whether we're saved by blood. Or, but really, they all tie together. The, the cool thing about the Bible is the Bible was written so that we would understand it through our relationship with him. When we try to understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit, that's when we get rules, that's when we get religion, that's when we get laws to follow. But when the Bible is interpreted through our relationship with him, it's different altogether. And here's the coolest thing. Our relation, every one of us has a different level of relationship with the Father. And so all of us will have a different level of revelation of the Word. And we'll have different understandings. So some people that lean towards, there are some people that will say, we are saved by faith, and that's the way it is. Some people will say, we are saved by grace, and that's the way it is. Because of where we've been, and because of what God has shown us, we make a mistake when we think that everybody is like us. And if God has shown me anything in the last five years, nobody is like me. <laughs> I haven't found anybody yet anyway. You know, and, 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 I have, and I have tried to make people be like me so they could get the relationship with God that I have, and, and God just doesn't follow me there. Um, so grace is a little bit different for all of us, but it's the same for all of us. And, and that's kind of the way that God is with a lot of things. There's... It looks contradictory, but it's just contradictory because we don't understand it. Isaiah 30, verses 15 to 18. These are my favorite verses. Well, since Wednesday when I found them, they're my favorite. Listen, the Lord, the Eternal, the Holy One of Israel says, in returning and rest, you will be saved. In returning and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust, you will find strength. But you refused. You couldn't sit still. Instead, you said, no, we're going to ride out of here on horseback. Fast horses will give us an edge in battle. Or maybe fast cars, hey, Cliff? But those who pursue you will be faster yet. When no one pursue, when one person threatens and a thousand will panic and flee, when five terrorize you, all will run pell-mell until you are as conspicuous as a single flag standing high on a hill. Meanwhile, the eternal one yearns to give you grace and boundless compassion, and that's why he waits, for the eternal is a God of justice. Those inclined towards him, waiting for his help, will find happiness. We tap into the grace of the God by giving up. We tap into the grace of God when we stop running around and trying to do the things that God has shown us and we just sit back and trust him. Because we, we've all done this. We, 
we run around on, we ride around on horseback, we drive around in fast cars, we run all over the place trying to do this and trying to do that. And not that those things are bad or wrong or that we shouldn't do them, but when we run around trying to get them all done, we burn out. And God does want us to do them, but he wants us to rest. In quietness and trust, you will find strength, not in running around trying to do. So if, if tapping into God's grace is just trusting him, and there's a lot of faith involved in that, because sometimes it involves possible pain. Sometimes you're looking at something that God is asking you to do, and you're thinking, oh, if I do that, and this thing happens over here, I don't know if I can live through that again, because it happened to me once before, and it hurts so bad. But when we just sit and we just trust God in quietness and stop running around, then the grace of God become, can become evident. And you can, you can, and, and, and his strength is made perfect in our weakness when we stop running around. Like what it says in Isaiah here. It says, you couldn't sit still. Instead, you ran around. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do things. I, I mean, I've mentioned that. But our peace determines on trusting God. And sometimes it's not easy to trust God with what God is asking us to do. 11, Hebrews 11.6 says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anybody who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Well, this is like a no-brainer, right? How in the world can you please God if you don't think he exists? That's kind of it's kind of like a no-brainer. But that's what it says. You have to believe God exists if you're going to please him. If you want to have grace and peace, you have to believe that God is on your side. You have to believe that the favor, unmerited favor of God is there for you. That's where our peace comes from. So we can sit and we can look at all the anxiety around us and we can have peace because we know that God is going to do what's best for us. And whether it hurts or whether it doesn't, it will be what's best for us. And we can trust him. And that's faith of just sitting back and saying, okay, God, you have got my heart. Take it, do what you want with it. Fix it, you know? It, it's, it's, it's a very, very scary thing to say, Father, search my heart, and if there's any wicked thing in there, show me what it is. Because sometimes it's so ingrained in your heart that to remove it will means it has to be torn out I remember I had I, I was born in rejection how much time have I got do I tell this story I'll do it quick <laughs> I was born in rejection um, mom didn't want me because I was a boy she wanted a girl she didn't even want to take me home from the hospital but and she told me that more than once she told Marge that before we got married that she really wanted a girl but got stuck with me instead um, and so I had rejection from the day I was born, the day that mom found out I was a boy. So about five years ago, when God decided to take the rejection away, he cut it out of my heart. It's a funny story, like all of them. Megan preaches, she preaches on the fire of God, right? She preaches and she prays for everybody. She has a lion come up, prays for everybody to get the fire of God. And I wanted that prayer. 
So after I was done, after the, she, my, Megan is talking to somebody over there on the second or third row, and I'm waiting for her because I want her to pray for me. And I wait, and I wait, and they're talking, and they're talking, and they're talking. And I just said, you know what? He probably needs her way more than I do. I'm just going to go home. And Marsh says, no, you just stay here. <laughs> so, so I'm here, I'm standing, and I'm going, oh, she's talking, and they're talking, and they're talking. Like, I bet you it's been 15 minutes now. And, and again, I said, you know what, let's just go, I'm hungry, let's just get out of here. And Sarah was here, my daughter, and she goes, no, Dad, you need to stay. <sighs> okay, I'll stay. Finally, they stop, and I ask Megan to pray for me. She puts her hand on my chest, right here, and she prays for the fire of God. And I don't feel a thing. Nothing happens. We go home. The next week, <laughs> she's preaching about rejection. And, um, and it's so funny how stupid people can be. But anyway, here's me being stupid again. I'm on the praise and worship team. I'm playing. She preaches about rejection. And in my mind, I'm saying, okay, I'm not going up with the team. I'm going to stay down here in the prayer line because I want prayer. And, and maybe I was thinking, I don't have, I want to wait 20 minutes after service to get it. Maybe I was thinking that. I might have been. And, and so I'm not going to go up. And Megan says, I'm not going to have a prayer line. We're just going to pray for you. <sighs> okay. So I go up and I put on the guitar. I was standing over there. And, and I'm playing away. And she starts praying for rejection. And I, start, I got so disappointed because for some reason, I thought because I was behind her instead of in front of her, I was missing out. Yeah, go figure, hey? I don't know, you know, guy's been saved for 40 years and he still thinks that? I, I have no idea. I guess it's, maybe it was demonic. It must have been. Anyway, so I'm thinking, I missed it. My chance to get free of rejection is gone. I'm going to have to live with this the rest of my life. That's what I'm thinking, standing there. And, um, and it started to hurt right here so bad. And I just thought it was disappointment, you know, but it started to hurt more and more. And she finally stopped praying, and I put the guitar down, and I ran to the bathroom in the green room over there, and I sat there. And I cried, and I cried. I don't know, 20 minutes? I sat there, and I just bawled, because it hurt so bad. And then God gave me a vision of a planter's wart with the root. And then I knew what was going on. I knew God was taking the rejection out, and he was cutting it out. It was like open-heart surgery. But I cried, and I cried. Sometimes... That's what God does. If it's, if it's been around for a long time, it doesn't feel good when God removes it from your heart. But by God's grace, he did. And I was hyperventilating. This was at noon, and I hyperventilated until 8 o'clock at night before I stopped. All afternoon, I was going, <sighs> just because of what God did. And um, the grace of God didn't look at what I was thinking, how stupid it was, and say, well, that's what you're going to be. I'm going to go find somebody else. He didn't do that. He just kept, the grace of God just kept working. And um, knowing what God was doing and knowing that it's the grace of God will do that for every one of us. Probably not in the same way he did it for me because we're all different. We have different things, but maybe, you know, I, I don't know, but it's the grace of God that allows that to happen. It's the grace of God that allows our hearts to be healed. And it's faith in the fact that the grace of God is going to protect us. And we don't have to protect ourselves. I'm not saying we do stupid things. You know, we pray and ask God what to do, and we go do it. 
but we don't have to live in the anxiety that Charity was talking about this morning. We can have the peace of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of peace, we can have that. Because if you know in your heart, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that whatever happens, the grace of God will always protect you, well, then what does it matter what happens? You know, the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter if in your heart you know that the grace of God will always, always be there. Even if we screw up, the grace of God is always, always still there. And, and that, to me, is such an amazing thing. And it has helped me. Have I, have I fought anxieties? Oh, I, I promise you, I have fought. And probably will again, because the enemy attacks and wants to get you into anxiety, because then you do even more stupid when you're in anxiety, because you try and get rid of the anxiety, right? But if we just give it to God and just trust him that he knows what he's doing, he loves us enough that he won't allow anything to happen to us that we can't recover from through him. Nothing. God's grace is always with us. It's unmerited. Nothing you can do to make it go away. Nothing you can do to make it get better, stronger. You just, tr you just have to trust that God knows what he's doing and that the grace is free. It's unmerited. So in the end, maybe a good definition of grace would be unmerited favor and God's willingness to use his power on your behalf. Maybe that, that, would, that was, I think, the definition that Glenn gave us, and I can't ever find a better one than that. It is God's unmerited favor, his favor towards us no matter what we've done, and his willingness to use his power to make your life better. That's grace. Thank you. Aaron? For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.